0: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, April 21st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the CEO of a Jackson-based financial services organization testifies before the Senate on some of the banking challenges faced by rural communities. Then, 2020 was a census year, meaning the Magnolia State will soon have new voting districts drawn. In our sixth and final installment of Your Vote, Your Voice, we examine the policies and procedures that guide the pens that draw the maps. Plus, we look at the state of Mississippi's lottery, nearly 18 months since it launched. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. In the Deep South, financial access in rural communities has been an epidemic long before COVID 19. At nearly 16%, Mississippi carries the highest percentage of unbanked residents in the country, a number that soars to 21% when specifically referencing black communities in the state. All of this according to the FDIC. Of the 20 largest banks in the Southeast, only one has branches in the Mississippi Delta. These are all issues being considered by the U.S. Senate Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee, William Bynum, the CEO of Hope Enterprise Corporation, a Jackson based financial services organization, testified before the committee yesterday where he outlined the importance of community development financial institutions or CDFIs.
1: CDFIs are uniquely effective because they are closest to the ground. They are financial first responders in so many communities that are disproportionately on the outside of the economy even with community banks who do a good job cfis are uber focused on closing gaps um, in historically underserved communities again targeting the precious and rare resources that congress has allocated cfis to institutions that have a track record of um Serving those underserved rural communities, native communities, communities of color, low-income uh, mom-and-pop businesses is vital. It's also critical that uh, CDFIs be equipped to um, to access home ownership assistance program. Um, one of the one of the uh, speakers mentioned NeighborWorks America. Uh, they provide critical down payment assistance that helps close the gaps. We bring in resources from the Wall Street banks and target them to the communities that don't have access to those banks, and where banks close in record numbers after the financial crisis. Without CDFIs, rural communities will continue to be on the outside looking in.
0: Aside from supporting individuals and small businesses, Bynum says CDFIs play a role in the health of rural communities, especially during the pandemic. During an exchange with Georgia Democrat John Ossoff, Bynum pointed to the efforts CDFIs take to fund health care access in the rural South.
1: Hope has financed rural health centers and hospitals in persistent poverty counties. And so we're familiar with the importance and challenges. These hospitals are critical sources of jobs and health, as we've seen during the pandemic. And you do not find traditional banks running to these projects, largely in part due to their dependence on federal support uh, because so many serve low-income patients who are underinsured, again, in the absence of Medicaid expansion. So the only way we would have been able to finance these hospitals is because of access to CDFI resources like the New Market Tax Credit Program, which is hard to come by particularly in persistent poverty areas, our analysis shows that only 5% of new market tax credit allocations have gone to rural persistent poverty counties from 2003 to 2017. So there is significant access to resource gaps that limit opportunity and limit um, these rural communities from getting access to these critical life-saving resources.
0: Bynum also outlined the importance of personal transit in rural communities. During a time when employment is still hard for some to find, lack of transportation presents an additional layer of challenges.
1: If you do not have access to adequate transit, then you may as well be unemployed in rural areas because you have so much territory to cover. Uh, If you don't have a car or truck in rural areas, you may as well be unemployed. Uh, Low income people and people of color in rural communities are more likely to be upon and receive access to high cost predatory financing to get access to um, mobile um, car loans and truck loans. and So transit solutions are vitally important. Again, CDFIs have a historic track record of addressing transit-related needs and financing to help close infrastructure gaps such as transit and healthcare and education.
0: The Hope Enterprise Corporation has financed more than $2.9 billion in Mississippi and surrounding states since 1994. The Senate committee will use the information in formulating banking policies. Coming up, 2020 was a census year, meaning the Magnolia State will soon have new voting districts drawn. In our sixth and final installment of Your Vote, Your Voice, we examine the policies and procedures that guide the pens that draw the maps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app.
0: This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi lawmakers will be working this year to redraw a number of maps that will impact voters in the state. 2020 was a census year, which means the U.S. Congress will reapportion its uh, representation in the House of Representatives. On the state level, census data will be used to draw House and Senate districts for the next legislative elections in 2023. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman has the statutory responsibility to appoint members to the committee that will consider how these new maps will be drawn. In our sixth and final installment of Your Vote, Your Voice, we begin by exploring the redistricting process with the leader of the Senate.
3: We were supposed to get the information on our decennial census last year, by December. We are required to redistrict uh, our our the state of Mississippi for its congressional districts beginning next Congressional uh, elections, which will be the next March, they have to qualify by March, and then of course elections are runoffs, and will be no- November, the following November. So we have a time deadline. They postponed because of the pandemic. They postponed us to receiving the information in September the 30th of this year. So we will be on a very short time frame to redistrict the four congressional districts in Mississippi. That's the first thing that will happen. Shortly thereafter, during the legislative session, we will redistrict the members of the Senate and the House. So all of those redistricts will be done probably early next year. The, they, we do that so that people will know whether or not they want to run for a particular office. They'll know the district in which they live and which they would be seeking.
0: Now, it's your responsibility to appoint a commission or a committee to oversee the redistricting.
3: It is. We there are two committees actually in Mississippi. One appointed by the House and one appointed by the Senate, and they require individuals from each congressional district. And there are two that I've appointed from each congressional district, and there are there are a couple that are there based on their uh, position in the Senate. For example, I appointed Senator Parker and Senator. Turner Ford from the first congressional district, Senator Hobson and Senator Simmons from the second district, Senator Harkins and Senator Kirby from the third district, Senator DeBar and Senator Wiggins from the fourth district. Then, by by the fact of their uh, their chairmanship of the election committee, Senator Jeff Tate will be on the committee and the vice chairman, which is Senator hobb Ryan. So, our ten are the the ten that I have outlined to you.
0: I know it's expected that the four congressional districts won't change. How many House districts are there and Senate districts?
3: The information we have on the general census, we'll have about 3 million people, which is about 700,000. And it takes probably about five to 600,000 or so. We're we're short of five and we'll easily have four. And uh, obviously, when we get the census data, they have to be proportionately the same. So there have been certain parts of Mississippi that have experienced growth and there have been certain parts of Mississippi who have experienced out-migration, which is another word for saying people have left. So uh, that will require us to redistrict the four congressional districts.
0: When the census numbers come in, can they be interpreted, the numbers themselves, not necessarily where they come from, but the numbers themselves?
3: There are uh, we do pay attention in in addition to the numbers to the uh, majority minority makeup. You know, there have been several Supreme Court cases on that. So uh, we do pay attention to that aspect uh, that's given to us by the census, but very little other no economic decisions, no anything like that. Uh, clearly, those are just left up to the committee to come up with. But one thing they do pay attention to, of course, is the majority minority uh, participation in each district.
0: Now, I know that there's electoral competitiveness or gerrymandering that runs along political lines. With Mississippi being overwhelmingly Republican, is it safe to assume that the lines will be drawn to favor Republican candidates? No. Do you want to add on to that?
3: I don't think I need to add on to it. Uh we in the Senate, as you can see, the uh, the makeup of this committee is bipartisan. And we, in, we intend to anticipate looking at districts which are geographical in location, who make common sense for cities and counties where we don't have a lot of split precincts. I, I was a former Secretary of State here. Split precincts just drive everybody crazy, the circuit clerks and the voters. So we don't want split precincts. And, and so there'll be a lot of things that, that are taken into account, but uh, we're redistricting Mississippi on, on the needs, economic needs, the normal political uh, 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 parts, the cities and the counties and, and trying to maintain their integrity and not split up like five, five representatives for one city. What that ends up having is you don't have any representation. So, no, I I think our major concerns will be the voter.
0: Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, thank you so much.
3: It's good to see y'all, and we appreciate it.
0: The redrawing of district maps comes with inherent biases and complications. As Representative Ed Blackman explains, a key priority for many elected officials is to preserve the district that elected them. He shares more about the politics of redistricting with our Ashley Norwood.
4: Just like in the insect population, the bacterial population, the human population, uh, survival is what it's all about. And the redistricting process, the best district that you have is the one you just got elected from. And most politicians are trying to, when it comes to redistricting every 10 years, you're trying to make sure that you have as close as you can to uh, your chances, uh, in, well, increasing your chances of being reelected. So it comes that becomes the issue. And every redistricting uh, scheme, uh, very few politicians want to give up the core of their district. So you have terms such as gerrymandering, and most people don't understand what that is. Uh, but you, you know it, it's like like uh, one Supreme Court justice said about uh, pornography. You know it when you see it. And uh, that goes on a lot. In, in, in the Mississippi, we have a really serious problem, especially at the, at the state level because we have our, the minority districts or the African-American districts are packed. The white districts are packed with like-minded, like-raced people in them. And so you have, uh, at the state level, you have uh, uh, about 50, 51 African-Americans in the legislature. But we're all packed in the districts, about 70-plus, most of them are 70-plus percent of African-American uh, majority uh, districts, uh, and that's fine when it comes to equalizing population, but it it, it kind of obscures uh, what we do at the uh, for from a policy standpoint. It's based on in Mississippi. Unfortunately, it's um, if you're black, you tend to be a Democrat. If you're white, at least in the from an electoral standpoint, you tend to be uh, Republicans tend to be white. So uh, we have that issue coming up in the next uh, redistricting process. It's always been a problem in Mississippi for as long as I've been involved in it.
0: I'm glad you mentioned uh, gerrymandering because that is a term that we've heard people associate with redistricting so often. And, I mean, what does that word even come from? Or is there a way to simply define it? Well, gerrymandering
4: is where you... um, the best example I can give you is a district that was in uh, uh, some years ago, I believe it's 1991 when it was developed, where you were trying to equalize population. You were trying to preserve the incumbent in office, so you had to find a way to do it. And if, uh, if you're a Republican, for instance, and you, you, suddenly you, in, you find that your population has dropped uh, substantially in your district and this did happen, and you want the main remaining office, you're trying to get into Rankin County. Now, there's a river that separates <laughs> a lot of that, that area, too. So we actually drew a district that went around the uh, Pearl River and crossed over a bridge to get into Rankin County to find population. And if you look at a census map, you would find that there are very few dots in there. It's just land, not people, mm-hmm. that you're trying to locate uh people to uh, in order to create a district. That's gerrymandering. One, you have a you have an intended purpose. You have to find an odd, unusual shape to get there. Because districts generally consider to be they should be compact and contiguous. Now if you have a stem connecting one piece of land to another piece, you can't, it's not compact and it's not contiguous. But it is contiguous to the extent they're connected, but not in the general sense hmm. that most people look at. Hmm. Same thing was done in a Delta district, in a senatorial district. But you could start in Cleveland, Mississippi, and find your, your district weaving its way down through Yazoo County. So, uh, and that was a uh, that was a black district, by the way. Was that not too long ago? This sounds Yeah, you know, in fact, there was litigation concerning that, too. Uh, that was uh, initially that uh, that was um, Senator Simmons' district when he was in office, and Senator Blackman, my wife's district, when she was initially elected, her district started out uh, being she had to go she had to campaign campaign in Humphreys County uh, okay. down here to Mississippi all the way to the Lee County line. Hmm. So uh, how is that for geriatric?
0: Representative Ed Blackman. With our Ashley Norwood, work of redrawing Mississippi's maps will begin this summer. Coming up, we look at the state of Mississippi's lottery, nearly 18 months since it launched. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, "Eh, maybe I'll try it myself? Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes,
5: you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast
3: everywhere.
0: This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Somewhere between 55 and 60 new projects by the Department of Transportation have either begun or have been funded in the last 18 months all a result of the Mississippi Lottery. The Mississippi Lottery has raised more than $84 million since last July alone, 80 million of it going to roads and bridges, the rest to the state's education system. Tom Shaheen, president of the Mississippi Lottery Corporation, who is retiring at the end of June, shares more about the lottery's impact with our Michael Guidry.
5: Fiscal year 2020, which ended last June 30th, um, it we didn't see any really major declines. We saw a little bit of a slump back in, in March when the pandem- pandemic um, was at its strongest point. Uh, so we had a good year for the first seven months. We returned uh, over $70 million, uh, for roads and bridges. The summer months, uh, July, the first couple of weeks started out great, and then we saw a slowdown in July and August in September, and then it all started picking back up again in October, November and December. And uh, we are uh, on track for a uh, pretty strong year in sales. Our budgeted amount was 365 for the year because we just didn't know exactly what COVID would do or not do to sales. You know most of our custo- most of our customers are convenience stores. And so we weren't sure how well their business was going to go. So through uh, April 10th, our gross sales are 391 million, and our budget for the year was 365. So we've made that, um, and uh, we will surpass our budgeted return of 91.7 million with this transfer coming up in about uh, seven days.
2: Based on the sales you've seen, we've seen some highs, we've seen some lows, based on the pandemic. How would you assess Mississippians' appetite for the lottery?
5: I believe the players, you know, are still very excited about it. Uh, We introduced a three-digit game called Cash 3 this past September, which we initially were going to introduce uh, back in May of fiscal year 2020, but COVID prevented that from happening because we couldn't get retailers in for training. Uh, That game continues to grow on a weekly basis, Powerball Mega Millions, you know, it's jackpot-driven. So we had those two huge jackpots in the uh, end of December and January and in the part of February. Uh, so those games have done really well. And our instant games are holding very strong, still averaging about uh, close to nine mil, over $9 million a week now. So um, the reception for lottery is still strong. And, you know, basically the players compare us to what's around us in surrounding states. What they sometimes have a hard time understanding is those states had many, many years uh, to build up their product mix. Um, We're not quite uh, two years old yet, and so we're still building.
2: We'll circle back a a second. We we talked a little bit about the legislative session, and uh, the lottery was conceived as a a way to address an infrastructure that that needed serious attention uh, to secondarily help boost education funds a little over a year and a half into the lottery now. Is it, is it doing its job?
3: Yeah,
5: it's it's doing more than its job, and hopefully we can keep that up. Again, uh, as evidenced by the 55 to 60 projects that DOT uh, has going around the state, it's, the money is being uti- utilized quickly. Again, we don't have information. That it's too early to tell what the education money is going to uh, be distributed to. So the lottery is producing. Our sales are still stronger than I think anybody would have anticipated. A, a state of less, just slightly under 3 million people. Um, it's been, in my opinion, has been extremely successful here.
2: And your involvement in this, in this successful run uh, will be coming to a close on June 30th. As you've announced, you are uh, stepping away from the, the lottery corporation as president you know as the inaugural president of the Mississippi Lottery Corporation uh, what has it been like for you on a personal and professional level to to see this concept go from you know past legislation through the games through the training of your of your vendors through this first legislative session where that money was allocated how's it been for you
5: uh, it's been you know it's been an extraordinary adventure for me uh, this is the second lottery that uh, I started uh, as the President. Uh, I started the North Carolina lottery in 2005 and they just celebrated their, f- actually, 2006. I started working in 2005. Their lottery started in 2006 uh, and they just celebrated their 15th year anniversary and they are still growing strong. Uh, so, it, yes, it, it's an adrenaline rush. You know, you hit the ground in a state that I've never lived in before. Uh, I didn't know a whole lot about it other than what I could read on the internet. And uh, I was the only person, and uh, basically I was handed a legisl- uh a lottery act, and so this is what uh, this is what the requirements are. Go build us a lottery, uh, and that was it. We had a law firm that uh, was helping out, and it basically was me hitting the streets looking for a building, okay, and then then putting out uh, requests for proposals for a gaming system. For instance, ticket printing, okay, an advertising uh, contract, hiring employees, ordering furniture. It just The list just goes on and on. And I started on June 1st, and by the time we got our team built, we were selling on November 25th, just uh, about under six months.
2: Well, Tom Shaheen, current president of the Mississippi Lottery Corporation, we thank you for your time and your service to the state.
5: Well, thank you very much. Thank you for interviewing us today. I appreciate it.
0: This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning.